welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of September 6, 2020. We have several announcements to begin this week, and then we have some information for you from the Office for the Blind, as well as a montage from our Derby Party. First, accessible absentee voting is here. Governor Andy Bashir issued an executive order allowing any Kentuckian who is registered to vote to do so by absentee ballot in the November election. A limited number of in-person polling places will also be available throughout the state, and all of those polling places are supposed to have an accessible machine available. In the past, it has not been possible for a person who is blind or who has a print disability to vote independently by absentee ballot. Now, thanks to the combined efforts of the Kentucky Protection and Advocacy, the National Federation of the Blind and NFB of Kentucky, the American Council of the Blind and the Kentucky Council of the Blind, absentee voting for people with print disabilities will be provided by Voting Works for the upcoming general election. Accessible voting options will also be available at in-person polls throughout the state. The selection of Voting Works was just finalized on Thursday, September 3. Please watch our email list for more information coming soon. The National Federation of the Blind will be providing some training for the use of Voting Works, and we will carry the announcements of when that training will happen on our email list. This week, KCB is announcing its new scholarship. KCB will award a $1,000 scholarship at its virtual conference and convention in November. Visually impaired residents of Kentucky and visually impaired members of the Kentucky Council of the Blind, regardless of their state of residence, who are enrolled in or under consideration for admission to post-secondary in-state and out-of-state certified college and vocational training programs, are encouraged to apply. The applicant should have a minimum grade point average of 3.0, have a specific realistic goal in mind, and be a well-rounded individual involved in extracurricular activities or community service. The recipient is required to participate in the Kentucky Council of the Blind Virtual State Convention to be held November 5, 6, and 7 unless reasonable circumstances prevent him or her from doing so. The application deadline is October 1. Obtain complete instructions and download the application form by visiting https colon slash slash wwwkentucky acb.org slash grants dash and dash scholarships or call 502-895-4598 or email scholarship at kentucky-acb.org. 
We also remind you that KCB will be awarding its second annual Assistive Technology Matching Grant at our virtual convention. The grant covers hardware and software-based assistive technology, upgrades and maintenance agreements, subscription services, computers, and other standalone electronic devices. KCB will match up to 50% of the cost of a product or service not to exceed $750. Visually impaired Kentuckians who were members of KCB in good standing as of March 15 of this year are eligible to apply. The deadline to apply for the tech grant is also October 1. Call KCB at 502-895-4598, email tech, T-E-C-H, grant at kentucky-acb.org, or visit https colon slash slash www.kentucky-acb.org slash grants dash and dash scholarships for more information. The KCB September 2020 newsletter is now available in print, on CD, and on our website, as well as on our email list. You can read the newsletter by visiting kentucky-acb.org and following the newsletter link on the main menu. Or look for it on our email list, subscribe to the email list from any page on our website, or request a large print or CD copy if you don't already receive them by calling 502-895-4598. The NLS e-reader pilot is now underway, and Kentucky has been selected as one of four states that will be testing the new NLS Braille e-reader. Under the program, two different Braille reading devices will be distributed to selected patrons for evaluation and feedback. We know that Bill Wright, Kendall Perry, and Debbie Detheridge have been selected to help test the e-reader. We are hopeful that others in KCB have also been selected. For more information about the e-reader and about the Kentucky Talking Book Library, call 800-372-2968. There are several changes, all positive, coming to the Kentucky Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. And on page 2, Cora McNabb, Executive Director of OVR, visits with us to explain those changes and how they will positively affect consumers of the agency. Be sure to listen to her very informative interview. And on page three, you will hear excerpts from the Friday evening Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Derby Party. 26 people attended the party by phone, which happened from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We had participants from several states, including Dave and Deb Trevino from Delaware and Jason Ian, who now lives in Nebraska. We are so glad that everyone could be there and participate. We had a lot of fun, and we think you'll enjoy listening to the montage that was created by Adam Rushevel for our enjoyment. Now, you're probably saying Derby Party at this time of year. Well, the Kentucky Derby usually happens in May on the first Saturday and the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind has a party that begins at 10 in the morning and goes until around 8 o'clock at night. We start out by consuming some mighty good donuts and other snack foods and then Patty Cox shows up with a lot of food and we enjoy that all day long. We play a lot of games, 
have a lot of jackpots, just enjoy ourselves and visit and make friends. We couldn't do that this year because the Derby was moved from the first Saturday in May to the first Saturday in September because of the coronavirus. Therefore, we had our virtual Derby party this past Friday. We hope you enjoyed the montage. Now, before we go to page two, we have one more item of interest for you to hear. It is an article that is about Be My Eyes and ACB's expanded participation in that platform. We hope you enjoy this week's sound prints. ACB expands specialized help hours with Be My Eyes. Alexandria, Virginia, August 27, 2020. The American Council of the Blind is expanding its partnership hours with Be My Eyes, an innovative app that provides real-time video assistance for individuals who are blind or visually impaired. Now, ACB's support staff and volunteers will be able to field calls from the Specialized Help Providers section of the app from noon to 5 p.m. Eastern Time on weekdays. Quote, we appreciate the partnership ACB has with Be My Eyes and believe through this opportunity we are able to leverage more resources to assist those who are blind or who have low vision, said ACB Executive Director Eric Bridges. This is an amazing extension of the work we are doing for ACB members and the greater blind community, end of quote. At a time of such uncertainty and isolation, ACB has been expanding its reach not only to its membership but to others outside of the ACB community by providing a host of calls via Zoom as part of our community events, utilizing ACB radio and podcasts, an active and engaging Facebook group, and now 25 hours per week on the Be My Eyes platform. While many Americans struggle with the impact of the coronavirus pandemic, ACB is now able to provide remote guidance and consultation on key areas impacting the rights of Americans who are blind and offer critical information on resources and supports available. Under the specialized help offerings with Be My Eyes, ACB is alongside companies such as Google, Microsoft, and P&G, providing support and resources to the blindness community. ACB is proud to be maximizing the use of technology coupled with the personal touch to connect with their members and deliver services in a whole new way. Now with almost 4 million users and a growing family of company partners, Be My Eyes is one of the largest micro-volunteering platforms in the world, with more than 3.5 million volunteers on call at all times to assist those who need an extra pair of eyes at short notice. The American Council of the Blind is a national grassroots consumer organization representing Americans who are blind and visually impaired. With 70 affiliates, ACB strives to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and to improve quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. Learn more about ACB by visiting www.acb.org. To inquire about Be My Eyes, contact community at bbemyeyes.com. Page two. On the line with me this morning is Cora McNabb. Cora is the executive director of the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation in Kentucky. 
And as most of you know, under the combined agency that serves people who are blind and visually impaired, as well as people who have all other types of disabilities. And uh, Cora is going to be telling us about some changes in who can be served and how services are being delivered during COVID-19. And we'll just be chatting about a number of different things. So we think you'll find this very informative. Welcome, Cora. We're glad to have you today. I'm glad to be here this morning. If you would like, I can go ahead and talk about the exciting news of order of, in order of selection, and that is that um, beginning October 1, we'll have all four categories open. Currently, we have three of the four categories open, and we just finished hosting two public hearings last week regarding order of selection because we had to make some changes to the definitions and we feel like that those changes are positive and are going to allow us to be able to serve more individuals. And at, at this time, we have a very healthy um, budget. So we're excited that we are able to serve all four categories. And if you'd like, Carla, I could review the categories this morning just to go over them. Yeah, that would be the, good. The category one is um, for most significant disability with limitations and three or more functional capacities. Category two is most significant disability with limitations in two functional capacities. And then category three is a significant disability with limitation in one functional capacity. And category four is non-significant disability. And then, of course, those functional capacities have to do with self-care, mobility, um, those, you know, day-to-day -day life skills, um, orientation. So orientation and mobility would fall in there. So we're really excited about having, this is the first time in, well, since I have been um, with, you know, the voc rehab, and I'm hitting my 15-year mark that we've had all four categories um, open. So we're really excited uh, about that. And, of course, you know, COVID, back in March when it hit us, it really caught us all off guard and has definitely impacted our services. Our uh, overall numbers um, took a large dip in March, April, and May. However, we have begun to see a steady increase in numbers over the last um, month. So we are hoping that that means that things have kind of stabilized. Now we realize that certainly we are not going to have be serving the, you know, typically the numbers that we serve, given that some individuals are making a personal decision to shelter at home. Some people are not comfortable, um, but we are beginning to see an increase in numbers. We are open for business. We are taking applications. We are taking referrals and we are serving individuals. Uh, the staff are telecommuting um, and working from home for the most part. 
but we do have some staff coming in the offices at, at certain times. The governor's executive order um, for in-person services um, is still in place. However, we have done two memos that I wanna talk about today. The first one is the essential services memo that we did for vendors of, of voc rehab. So this could be um, an orientation mobility vendor, it could be a, a physician's office, or it could be a community rehab provider that's providing job placement services. And the memo um, outlines what are essential services. So certainly in any instance where there could be um, danger to an individual, to their um, safety or something that could be harmful, we certainly want to continue those services. So staff are continuing to authorize for medical appointments. They're continuing to authorize for um, mental health. Um, if someone is in danger of losing their job and they need intervention on the job site, staff would certainly authorize for a vendor of those services to be provided. The second memo that I recently did, uh, that I think it was last week we distributed it to staff, is that um, a memo on an exception for um, staff to provide one-on-one um, -on -one services. And of course, we had to um, get this approved through the, the cabinet and had to run it by the governor's office. But staff can request an exception to be considered by the division directors and or assistant directors for in-person services to be provided by an OVR staff if there is um, immediate danger present or circumstances that justifiably meet that. And there are three categories that the staff um, look at and then they can write a justification for that. So, for example, um, an essential service could be defined as something that could, if it were not provided, could result in serious or irreparable harm to someone. Um, and then also, if uh, we have a category for essential non-urgent services, that are defined as one that could result in serious or irreparable harm to an individual if it were not provided, then it could um, affect that individual, you know, in other ways. Um, so it needs to be provided. So, you know, an example of that could be um, we have our rehabilitation technology specialist. And we might have someone that is a, a wheelchair user that cannot safely use their wheelchair or their vehicle. It could be an orientation and mobility instructor if you know it's justified that that individual um, needs that service in order to stay safe. And of course, as you can imagine, these are gonna be um, exceptions that are granted on a case-by-case -case basis and looked at very um, closely because even though it might be a need of someone and something they really want, um, 
you know, that doesn't mean that it is essential to their safety or our well-being, but we do want to have in place the ability to make those exceptions um, for services. So those are the two um, memos that we have in, in place. Right, right now in, um, on the blind services caseloads, uh, counselors, the rehab counselors, um, there are around 809 individuals that are being served, which is uh, down, but it is in keeping with all of our numbers. Um, all of our numbers are down across the entire, entire state. But we are beginning to see, um, since the 1st of July, we've received 25 new referrals. So there are people seeking uh, services. So that just kind of gives you a, a, a quick overview. And I know that was a lot of information, but I'll stop here and see if you have any questions. I do. How do these service changes also affect the independent living program. I know that's a different pot of money, and I know that oftentimes there are differences in how people can be served under that program, but uh, how, are those, how are those services being provided as well? The gay panel, the program manager, is working closely with Helga Gilbert, the Division of Blind Services Director, and the, the um, independent living counselors across the state. And they are providing services remotely as best that they can um, over the phone or if someone does have a platform like, like Zoom or Microsoft Teams, they would use that to provide services. The greatest concern that we have for uh, independent living is that those services are delivered in an individual's home. So you have, of course, that is a very, uh, you know, more vulnerable environment. And then also, especially for older blind, we're serving a very vulnerable population. Um, so that these memos apply to them, but I think the circumstances would have to definitely merit that uh, an exception would be granted for in-home services at this time. Mm -hmm. Now they are providing services remotely as the best that they can. They're working on referral sources. Um, also, our um, orientation and mobility instructors have developed some helpful hint sheets um, for staff. And so we're taking the time to do things that normally our schedule would not allow for them to have time to, to do. Um, the, the orientation mobility instructors have come up with some safety tip sheets on orientation and mobility. But I'm glad you asked about them because we have had many conversations and a lot of, of discussions about how to keep the set, you know, not only the staff safe, but the individuals that we serve um, as, and knowing that those are more residential based. Um, services. So if an independent living uh, person, independent living client, consumer, uh, needs services like O&M or something like that, is that possible for them to obtain that at this time? If it, if it 
if the staff write the justification and then um, the division director along with the managers would look at it and determine that it was considered urgent and essential, then it could happen, yes. Okay, all right. And I assume that their other services are, are pretty much uh, on hold as far as the kinds of things being able to maybe provide some of the independent living aids and things like that. They, uh, I'm assuming they would have a hard time assessing what the person would need. How, how does that go forward? Are they just going onto a waiting list to be provided once things open up a little more? I think that Gay and the staff are dealing on with that on a case-by-case -case basis, and actually Gay has looked into some of the states that are using um, kits remotely, um, so they are having conversations about that. Um, so I don't know that I would could answer that. Um, it, you know, it might be good for you to um, have an interview and talk with Gay about how individually um, are doing that. I wouldn't want to say that they're not doing any of that because I think there's mm -hmm. some some uh, decisions like that being made. If it's okay. possible and they feel like, um, you know, they're not hindering the safety of an individual and they're making the right recommendations and decisions. Right, right. Okay, so let's go back and talk about the categories a little bit because as you indicated, this certainly is a really big deal. I mean, opening all four categories, I I don't remember a time that all four categories were open. And that goes back even prior to the 15 years ago when you came. Um, so I, I'm a client and, and I wanna, I'm a consumer and I wanna know what does that really mean for me? So um, can we, can we maybe have a few examples, talk about how that would affect a person who just needs a, a, a device for work or uh, they just need one service? Would that be what would fall into the category four? Yes. You know, I, 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 can't, I don't want to say that. Um, you know, absolutely, because as you know, the individual would need to contact the local office and make application and, and right. meet with the counselor. But yes, it does open uh, services up to more individuals. Mm -hmm. So if, if I'm a blind person and I need a, uh, I, I, maybe I need some help just to, uh, you know, a, a screen reader on, on the computer I'm using at work, it, it needs to be updated, or just just a single thing, uh, then that, and, and it's a quick thing, it's not a long-term uh, service, then that is changed in, in the categories, and maybe also in the, um, in, in the definition of those categories, where the services used to need to be provided on a longer-term basis, and now they don't. Am I interpreting that? Yes, you are. And I would encourage everybody to um, that is in need of a service that they would contact the office and make application, yes. So, Corey, you were telling us at the SCVR, used to be the SRC, yes. uh, about 
the, 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 you know, that Kentucky all of a sudden has more dollars than we've been used to seeing. We've all been so used to, you know, Kentucky is so short on funds, and all of a sudden we are not for several reasons. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how that came to be and what impact the new fiscal year is going to have on some of those dollars? Well, when we combined the agencies, um, we combined, of course, the, the funding always came into the state um, in, you know, one, 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 uh, the feds would consider it one, uh, one pot of money, but then after right. it came into the state, of course, so um, the, all the money was really put into one pot. And then by combining the agency, there probably there were a lot of um, what we call backdoor operations that uh, we had. Uh, OFB had a staff person doing. OVR had a staff person doing. You know your your personnel, your um, state plan writing, your you know those kinds of things. And so we consolidated some of those. Um, more efficient, and then that freed other people up to do um, other jobs. And so then also we really tightened our budget, and but we were in order of election for so long we had um, cost savings. And then another thing that happened during COVID, we did have 66 staff that were um, assigned to UI claims to help for about two and a half, three months. And so we had salary savings there as well. So it's kind of a combination of, of things um, that have, have occurred. And it's just allowed for us through good, then there was a lot of good business sense that we used in looking at expenses that we were allowing. And so we have a very healthy um, budget at this time that is going to allow us to be able to provide services to a larger population. That's really good. And we also, of course, have the new fiscal year, which means new dollars will be coming in. And um, yes. that, that can only help the budget. Well, we, but won't some dollars go out because of the end of the fiscal year? No, we, we that was something I to mention um, one of the, a, a big factor in this was that we were awarded enough general funds to match the full grant award. And so this was the first year in a long time, the last two years, we have returned no money to the federal government. We've maintained it all. So that's good that we were able to um, fully match. So that has been a great positive. That is tremendous. You know, Cora, I remember the first time that I was aware that money was having to be turned back. We used to never have to return money, or at least we weren't aware we were returning money, I guess, on the SRC. And I remember going to an SRC meeting in 2008, and that was the first year, I guess, maybe it was 2009, but I think it was eight. And um, Chris Smith was the director then, and he said, oh, we had to return this amount of money, and I mean, <laughs> that was traumatic. I could not believe that we were re 
returning money that it would then go to some other state to spend because Kentucky couldn't match, didn't have enough money to draw down our federal dollars and keep that money here in Kentucky. So, and, and that has just gotten bigger and bigger, more and more of a problem over the years. So this, this is really great that, that we're able to keep this money and hopefully next year be able to draw down all our money as well. Yes, we'll be watching that as it comes across. Yes, it yes. Um, it makes a difference when you're able to um, draw down that money. Right. I want to go back to one more thing quickly, and we touched on this before, but uh, I want to explain it a little more for the listener. Uh, we talked about the changes in the the, I'll say, requirements or the, the regulations that deal with how long that disability needs to, you, you need to need that service. And, and that change that didn't just happen because we wanted it to happen. Am I not correct that that happened because RSA kind of took a different direction? They have a new director, and uh, he, it, I think with his initiative perhaps, um, their requirements for the length of time that a service is needed has changed over the last year. In Kentucky's plan last year, it was that long-range service, and now, and now we're we're changing to only needing services for a shorter period of time. Is that a, is that a good way to sum that up? Yeah, there is a list in the federal regs of of things that you cannot use when determining eligibility. And one was, one of that is services. And in the prior year, and you're correct, RSA did approve it. So uh, the, the person that um, reviewed it, but in our former definition, it referenced, referenced the most significant disability category and distinguished it on the need for the service of long-term supports. And it was that use of long-term supports, they viewed that as a service. And so that was what they wanted us to remove from our criteria. Mm -hmm. So that meant then that we were able to provide more services um, that perhaps didn't fall into that long-term category. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Well, it, it sounds to me as if we're going to have a lot more flexibility in the services we can, we can provide now and moving ahead into the next fiscal year. And that can only mean good things for our clients. Now we just need to get over this hurdle of COVID and um, that will make all of us most happy. But I do want to stress with individuals that we are open for business. So please, if you're in need of VR services, um, call your local office and make application. All right. Well, thank you, Cora. We appreciate you taking time to talk with us today on Soundprints, and we're looking forward to hearing more updates from OVR and more good news in the future. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Page three. If this had been a normal derby, we would have already had this party the first Saturday in May. 
and it would have been at UCHM, and Patty would have brought a lot of food, and some of us would have gotten there at 10 in the morning, and we'd have started with eating donuts, and we would have proceeded through the day with all kinds of other food and games and fun and jackpots and just visiting, and it wouldn't have been over and everybody gone until around 8 o'clock that night. We, we couldn't go through a derby without a derby party. It's kind of like, you know, there's been 146, this is 146 derby, and they've never missed one. So we couldn't miss a derby party either. So here's some of the things that we're going to do tonight. Right. Um, usually at a derby party, we, we, have a, we have a couple of different kinds of games. We do uh, Adam's horse race game, and we will do a couple of those. We're not going to do a whole bunch. But we will do a couple of them. If you have your bingo board handy, uh, we'll play a couple of games of bingo, maybe three or four. This is not all locked in. But um, if you don't have your bingo board and you know where it is, you might want to go grab it real quickly because we'll, we'll do some of that as well. Um, the, the other things that we'll do is to share derby memories. Uh, we probably all have some derby memories that we could – um, share with each other and, you know, kind of fun things or things, just memorable things that have happened at the derbies in the past. And maybe your memories of some GLCB derby parties, maybe even back in the day when it was J- GLCB didn't even, even exist, but KCB had a derby party. Um, so th- it doesn't have to be uh, council related. It can be other parties as well. Um, and then, we will have uh, Patty is going to uh, Patty's going to share derby food. We have to have our virtual derby food, you know. Yeah. And uh, and and we will also have derby jackpots. Uh, the first thing that we need to do, since it's a derby party, is see if we could have possibly a call to the post. So since Dave is here. Yeah. And, you know, when Dave and Deb were here, he always played the call to the post at our derby parties. Dave, could could you do that for us tonight? All the way from Delaware? <laughs> so, right. now we're official. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. The first thing I think that let's, we should do uh, at the derby party is to have Patty tell us about her virtual food because that's always the first thing we do is eat at our derby party. There is a crock pot. It's got little smokies in it. We also have another crock pot full of meatballs. We usually have uh, sandwiches, small little slider sandwiches, ham and cheese. Um, We have potato salad. And we have those wonderful, as we call them, crack brownies, which are really good. But I know that we have some cream puffs, some little eclairs, but there's a lot of food. The table's always full. Yes, yep. deviled eggs, baked beans. There's something else you can make in a crock pot, too, and that is a dump cake. What about the derby yeah. pie? And I don't make the derby pie. Honestly, we buy the derby pie. Does anybody else have anything to, any food things to contribute or any questions for Patty? Okay. 
Carla? Yes. I have a uh, a Paul Harvey rest of the story on how the, the 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 English history of the Kentucky Derby. Is anyone interested? Sure. Sir Charles Bunbury was horse crazy. I mean, he loved horses, loved racing horses. He was married to one of the most beautiful women in England. She ran off with another man, protesting that Sir Charles cared more for his horses than for her. And it must have been true, for Sir Charles never remarried. He devoted the rest of his life wholeheartedly to horse racing. And if there was anyone in the world who loved horses more passionately than Sir Charles, it was his friend Edward. Edward would drop anything, go anywhere, for the privilege of seeing a handsome new horse or watching horses compete on a racetrack. Then one evening, while celebrating the triumph of one of Edward's horses, the two men started talking, and they came up with the idea of a mile-long race for three-year-old colts and fillies, an ideal race to be run the following year at Epsom Downs. The problem was that neither could remember whose idea it was first. Neither man could recall which of them had truly sparked this, this innovative idea. Somebody deserved the credit, but who of the two? Well, certainly from the perspective of 200 years hence, the relevance of that consideration seems insignificant. Yet to Edward and his friend, Sir Charles Bunbury, it did matter. It mattered greatly who had godfathered this fledgling one-mile race. In the first place, the event would be named for one of them. Charlie and Eddie did the only thing they could do under the circumstances and flipped the coin. They couldn't decide whose idea it was in the first place. They couldn't decide after whom the race should be named. And I can't tell you whether it landed heads or tails. All we know for sure is that Edward won the toss. And thus a one-mile horse race, eventually extended to a mile and a half, was to bear his name. And to this day it does indeed bear his name as indeed does its American counterparts. It was nothing ponderous. It was simply a flip of a coin that made the difference. For had Sir Charles won the toss, we would call it the Kentucky Bunbury. <laughs> the man who won was yeah. Edward Earl of Derby, which most of us U.S. pronounce Derby. So now you know the origin of the Kentucky Derby. And the rest of the story. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. How about we have uh, a game, a bingo game, right now? Is everybody that uh, wants to play? Do you have your cards? We are going to have just a regular bingo, and so you can bingo up and down, straight across, or diagonal, either diagonal, corner to corner. So everybody understand what we're doing. The first number is I-18. Bingo. I-18. G-54. G-54. Remember to win. Last time we changed our rules a tiny bit, and we said that you can have, um, you can bingo with either the last number called or the second to last number called. And that was to accommodate where if people were having trouble getting unmuted and things like that. Okay, the next number is B13. B13. 
B13. N38. N38. O68. O68. Carla? Um, yes? This is Bill. The first I you called, was it 18 or 28? 18. 28 has not been called. At least 18 okay. has been called and 28 has not. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. B1. B1. B11. Bingo. Who's got a bingo? Is that Deanna? Yes. All right, Deanna, call them back. It's uh, one. It's, it's one seven eleven twelve thirteen. One seven eleven twelve and thirteen. That's a good bingo. Let's get one more. Just keep your cards uh, covered. Carla, Carla, yes. It's Trina. Trina has one. All right, Trina, call them back. Uh, eleven, twelve, seven. One, fifteen. Fifteen. All right. Okay, Trina, that's a good bingo. Any more bingos? All right. Let's uncover your board, and we'll, we may get back to another bingo game a little bit later. Let me make a note of these people who have bingos. Let's see. That was Trina and Deanna and Samantha. All right. Next. Let's play. We've got to have. We have to have a horse race game in our derby party. We usually have quite a few, but tonight we can't. We don't have enough time, so we can't have all the horse races that we usually do. But Rick Boggess is our host, and Deb Lewis is also here. So um, I think we need to have two horse races tonight, and one since Deb Lewis is president of the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana. We're going to have the hot dog handicap, and <laughs> and, and since and since Rick is is our host and he's an Owens girl, we're going to have the savvy know-it-all claiming race. So for those of you that may not be familiar with what's going to be going on here, Adam has a board. Adam has created a board that's actually made out of egg cartons. Talk about recycling, um, and. It is six rows across, and it is 12 spaces in each, you know, forward in each column. So uh, the person who uh, covers those 12 spaces first is the winner. And we roll three dice, and um, the spaces, the person, the, the people have numbers, and um, we assign them position one through six. And so um, then they move forward based on what their number, if, if their number comes up on the dice. You'll see how it works. It's a pretty simple game. And so the first thing we're going to do is determine who our contestants are. Okay, so the first contestant is, is going to be Bill Wright. He is contestant number one in the, um, in the hot dog handicap. The next contestant is Brenda Williams. She is contestant number two in the hot dog handicap. The next person, 
uh, appropriately is Deb Lewis. She will be contestant number three in the hot dog um, handicap. Paula, um, strike yes. me. Let somebody else do it. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the the next person then is Dave Trevino, and he will be in position number one then in the hot dog handicap. Terry is contestant number four. All right, and contestant number five is Susan Card. And contestant number six is Restoria. All righty. Okay, so Adam, we are ready. Now, I'm go I have three dice here, and I'm going to roll them, and the numbers that come up um, will indicate how they move. Uh, so are we ready? Okay. Uh, six, two, and six. So Restoria gets to move two spaces. She's in All the right. early lead. Okay. Restoria. Yeah. Next is five, one, and two. Five is Susan Card. Two is right. Brenda, and, one and is number Dave one Trevino. Dave. is Dave Trevino. All right. Um, two, three, and two. Wait, two is on the move here. All right, and three is out of the gate. And what was the second, third number? Two. Two, three, two. two okay, boy. Yeah, number yeah. two Brenda is out ahead <laughs> now. Number two is way out, and number one okay. is... In last place. Two, one, go ahead. One, one, two, and four. Number okay. two is laid out, and number four is tied with three, four, five, six are all in a line. Oh, wow. And number one <laughs> okay. is uh, one space behind those four. Okay. We have one, one, and six. Oh, my. One, one, and six. And six. So now we... Number one is just one space behind number two, second place, and five and six are one space behind that. And number oh, wow. three is in last place okay. now. All right, two, three, and four. All right, so we're getting close. Going to have a winner soon. One, two, and four. Uh -huh. Okay, one, number two wins, and number one is in second place, one space behind, and number four is also tied uh, for second place. All right. So Brenda so is one the and winner. one and four tied for second with number two, okay. the winner. Okay. So Brenda is the winner of the Hot Dog Handicap. Um, I'd like for you all to share some Derby memories. Uh, I have one. Okay. Go David. ahead. David. Uh, go ahead, yeah. David. I've only uh, been out to the track twice during on Derby Day. But uh, both of them were uh, occasions when I was working out there. So it wasn't like I was partying and having fun like everybody else. But uh, when I worked at the Derby Museum, um, I had to work, of course, on Derby Day. That was about uh, 96 or 97. Um, I think it was 96. But I remember I had to get up at like 3 a.m. to be there. I, you know, I had to be there at 5 o'clock. I had to park in a remote parking lot 
and walk in. And then we had to get everything prepared. And I, I was bartending out on the uh, the Derby Museum patio, so we had to get your uh, things ready, like mimosas and five-gallon containers and Bloody Marys oh. and margaritas, get all that prepared. And I was out on the, like I said, the patio of the Derby Museum, and it's, it was just the local press. It wasn't the general public that was in there. It was the local press. Uh, most of the people from, uh, if you're familiar with um, Channel 11 News here, is most of those people. I still remember, uh, you know, the the news anchor, Dave Pro Doug Prophet, uh, how, how, gosh, he's like almost seven feet tall. <laughs> and uh, so it was a long day. We didn't get off work until... You know, we, I was in there at five, like I said, and got off work. It was close to midnight before they let us go. And uh, they, oh, let me back up a minute. It was, I got, to, I had a chance to actually go during the day over and make a bet uh, at the window. So it's the only time I've ever done that. I'm not a big uh, gambler, but uh, I got to go bet on a horse. Then uh, they let us go, you know, later that evening, and um, it was close to midnight. The management told us to be very careful. It was a very um, shady neighborhood that I had to walk through to get back to the parking lot. And so they said to, you know, pair up with someone. And I remember it was, you know, that some people don't know this, but the neighborhood around Churchill Downs is not the best neighborhood. It's uh, shotgun houses and, you know, a lower income. And there were people drinking and dancing in the front yards on their porches and bonfires and you know but i made it through there safely and that's that's my most memorable derby i have 25 uh interesting derby facts that i found and these are from town and country magazine but number one in and, in and of itself is interesting um and it tells us how many um how many horses who have won the Derby have names that begin with the letter S? Three. Uh, I'll say 20. Kendall, you're pretty close. It's 19. Really? 19 horses that have won the Derby over the years, begin, their names begin with the letter S. Of course, including Secretariat, who was the fastest horse. Um, number two is the amount of food consumed at the Derby is pretty astounding. On average, spectators will eat 142,000 hot dogs, 18,000 barbecue sandwiches, 13,800 pounds of beef, 32,400 jumbo shrimp, 9,000 scallops, 8,000 pounds of potatoes, 30,000 cookies, and 300,000 strawberries. The traditional drink of the Derby is, of course, the mint julep, and over 120,000 of them are said to be consumed at the race each year, except this year, of course. Now, if those few people that are out there this year consume 120,000 mint juleps, they're going <laughs> to <clears throat> Who was the first woman jockey to ever ride in the Derby? Just Adam, the only one I can think of is, is Diane Cross. But, um, Diane Krupp. 
Crump, yes. Crump, yes. She, yes, she was the first okay. woman jockey, and there's never been a woman jockey to win, but um, but a jockey named Shelley Riley came the closest in 1992 when she came in second. Yeah. All right. Any other announcements, questions, comments, anything else? Okay. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.